Hello, welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and we are back to do an issue with Adam Warlock, actually. And since Adam's back, so is John. Hey, John, what's up? I am doing just fine. You know, I was feeling kind of bloated and overweight, but I just blinked my eyes and suddenly I was normal sized again. It was pretty great. That's how you do it. Everyone knows that, including our guests, because we are covering Marvel Team Up. So we figured we should do a team up. So we have with us Donovan Morgan Grant. Hi, Don. What's up? Greetings. <laughs> All right. So you might recognize his voice from various other podcasts, including which is works well for this ep- this show. A show he used to do with John called Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Oh yes, because Spider-Man is on this episode. Spider-Man is in this issue. That's what we're talking about, issues. <laughs> Spider-Man is not physically on the episode, Al. I keep telling you he's not real. You keep not believing me. Hey, you keep believing in Superman. I'm going to believe in Spider-Man. Okay. <laughs> I, I can't fault you on that one. Let's not, let's not have a theological debate here on this, on this space podcast. <laughs> is that what we're calling those things now, theological debates? Hulk is on stronger. The, <laughs> on this podcast about space Jesus? Yeah, it's appropriate, at least. So, speaking of our space Jesus, Don, <laughs> what do you know about our space Jesus guy, Warlock? Have you any background with him at all, or is this is he all brand new to you right now? But well, I if there's one thing I am not in my in the history of my of my life's interest, it's a cosmic Marvel reader. I'm much more of a costumed crime fighter kind of guy. Like when it comes to Marvel Comics, Spider-Man, Daredevil, a little bit of Captain America, some Black Panther here or there, and, and the X-Men sort of, it gets kind of blurrier and more broad as it goes along. But like the cosmic stuff is really not in my purview. I will say, though, that um, last year I read for the first time Finn and the Gauntlet, which Adam Warlock is a central figure, and I absolutely loved it. So... That is really my only exposure to Adam Warlock. Aside from, you know, you've been in this game for as long as we all have. You'll know and hear of some characters. So I knew of Adam Warlock when he was kind of being bandied about as a character, a future character in a future Guardians of the Galaxy film. It's like, oh, Adam Warlock, that'd be cool. And I'm like, that'd be awesome too. I'd love to see him. I would be lying if I said he's my favorite character. But um, <laughs> I understand him as part of the Marvel Cosmic Pantheon. So I, I know him informationally, but not. I don't have a personal history with him. Okay, hey, you read Infinity Gauntlet. It's one of the better ones, so can't fault that. But yeah, so you're more of a super-powered street-level guy. You know, not exactly street-street-level, but yeah, you know, a little I'm, higher I'm, than that. I'm basic like that, yeah. There's nothing wrong with those. Those are great characters. Spider-Man, Daredevil, Cap, Black Panther. I love Black Panther. Oh, yes. That Priest run is still one of my favorite runs in uh, comics. We just, um, I work at Barnes and Noble, so we have a lot of, uh, Marvel stuff. And we've gotten, like, collections. Uh, I mean, we have, like, the Christopher Priest volumes. We actually have, uh, they reprinted Panther's Reach and Panther's Quest by Don McGregor and Billy Graham. So we have a lot of cool stuff there. And we do have a lot of the, like, various Infinity titles, like Infinity, Infinity War, Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity Crusade, Infinity Watch. And I was kind of going through those as we were closing one night, and I was like, Man, damn, he's in a lot of these comics. <laughs> I mean, for a while, he was a really big character. And he kind of faded away after, I, I, I don't know, I think by Infinity Crusade, the Infinity Boat was starting to lose its steam. 
Yeah, and not to get too far ahead, I mean, but we're gonna, it's going to be a couple of years before we get to that anyway. Um, around issue 31, 32 of Inf- Warlock and the Infinity Watch, Starlin left. Oh. So he wasn't there anymore, and within 10 issues, the book was over, and then next thing you know, all the Infinity Gems got sucked into the Ultraverse. Ooh. When was the last time we saw Adam Warlock that you guys are aware of in the modern books? Because I don't really come across him too much these days. Guardians of the Galaxy, the last series. He was in a couple issues of that. Okay. He was definitely in the annual. I forget if he was in any of the uh, regular issues, but he's a, he has like a little couple-page story in the annual. Gotcha. I know that like um, Starlin's writing and you know, Cosmic writing and all these kind of characters, they absolutely have their fan base. I'm not trying to be like... Um, dismissive of that like like whether I'm, I'm familiar with them or not like this area of marvel is is beloved so I, w- I was wondering like you know if he's kind of like a rare character or if he kind of pops in every now and then as often as, as other characters when i was getting back into comics in the mid aughts are we calling him that mid 2000s i don't know whatever whatever we're calling that first decade around the secret invasion era i was pleasantly surprised to see that he was a regular on guardians of the galaxy around that time so i know he was regularly involved with comics you know 10 years ago um yeah that was the uh ap- yeah that was the uh, run of guardians that came out of uh, annihilation yeah, as far as what that. he's done since then other than like specials and miniseries and stuff i don't know yeah really it's that and then he went away at the end of that because he turned into the magus again and star lord killed him and he also, then he, he did what <laughs> and then he came back again with the recent uh infinity countdown and infinity wars there's also a novelization of uh, uh, Annihilation, which I can't imagine anybody who doesn't already know what they're getting into reading that, but uh, it's available at your local bookstore. I did not know there was a novelization of that. I'll have to check that out. Hey, they did a novelization of Crisis on Infinite Earth, so, you know. They did. They have no uh, idea what they're doing. <laughs> I mean, how much more confusing can Annihilation be then? <laughs> and then Superman said to Superman, you know, marriage will do you good. I'll take that under advisement, said Superman. It's like chapter 12. It's like, okay. Hey, you can also get the novel of Star Trek X-Men, so. Oh, snap. That's a, I, I saw that. I, I, I've seen that comic, like, physically once. But um, they made a novelization there. That's pretty awesome. I, I forget. I think it was a separate story. It has been a long time. I bought those when it came out. It, I, I forget if that's a separate story or not. I think it might be. Strictly in continuity, I imagine. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Just as much as, you know, Conan is. Well, actually, he is again now. And then he wasn't. And then he is. All right. So we're going to pause for a second and drop the synopsis in here. And then we're going to get going on with Marvel Team Up number 55 featuring Spider-Man and Warlock. Marvel Team Up number 55. Writer, Bill Mantlow. Pencils, John Byrne. Inker, Dave Hunt, Colors by George Rousseau, Letters, Susan Fox, with Gaspar Saladino on page one, Editor, Archie Goodwin, Cover Art, Dave Cockrum and Dan Crespi, Original Cover Price, 30 cents, Cover Dated, March 1977, On Sale Date, December 21st, 1976. You can find this issue reprinted in Une Aventure de l'Orange, number six, which is a 1979 French reprint. Luomo Rango, number 228, a 1979 Italian reprint. Die Spin, number 18, a 1980 German reprint. Warlock, number 5, a 1983 reprint miniseries covering the Jim Starlin Warlock series. 
Warlock number no. 5 from 1992, a reprint series of the 1983 reprint series. <laughs> Die Spin number no. 18, a 1987 German reprint, and yep, I'm pretty sure it still had the same name and the same issue number. Go figure, as the one from 1980. Go figure. Marvel Masterworks Adam Warlock Volume 2 from 2009, Essential Marvel Team Up Volume 3 from 2009, Essential Warlock Volume 1 from 2012, Marvel Gold Warlock La Amanzia de Thanos, a 2012 Spanish reprint, and also there is a 2017 Russian reprint, but the title is all in Cyrillic, so I don't know how to pronounce that. My apologies. And of course, digitally, on Comixology and Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. Trapped inside a rocket leaving Earth, Spider-Man is having hallucinations about his many enemies, and some friends, while being battered by the G-forces. Back on the ground, the Hulk and Woodgod leave the launch site, and we go back to Spider-Man, alone, until the giant, although not as giant or intangible as we last saw him, Adam Warlock comes along. Utilizing the power of his soul gem, Adam is able to deposit the rocket safely on the blue area of the moon which you don't know is a special part of the moon in the Marvel Universe that actually has an atmosphere, so you can breathe there. This has the added benefit of bringing Adam back to his proper size. Exiting the rocket, Spider-Man is a bit perplexed at being on the moon. He tries to get Warlock to help him get back to Earth when the stranger shows up, demanding Warlock's soul gem. Adam tries to fight back, but is quickly taken out. Spider-Man tries to help, but is tossed away for his troubles. He is caught by a tree, which gently puts him down, while Adam attempts to take on the stranger again, and loses. Meanwhile, Spider-Man has woken up and is meeting the being who made the tree rescue him, the gardener. He planted the garden there on the blue area of the moon, and was content until the stranger showed up. He's not concerned about what the stranger wants or will do to Adam. He just wants him gone so he can enjoy his garden in peace again. Spider-Man heads back to where the stranger is and finds him holding Adam captive so he can take his soul gem. Knowing he's fighting way above his weight class, Spidey still webs up the stranger, who quickly breaks out of it. While the fighting is happening, the gardener is hiding in another area of his garden. He knows the stranger really came for his gem, not Adam's, but finally realizes he, that he cannot have another die in his place. Even it means the end of his garden, and he joins in the fight, causing vines and stones to attack the stranger. Spider-Man is able to trick the stranger into blasting the device he's using to hold Adam captive, and Adam is able to join the battle as well. Adam and the gardener use their two soul gems together and are able to blast the stranger, sending him away. With that, the battle is over. The gardener leaves, his garden shriveling up, as he feels using his gem in battle has corrupted it, making it useless for his needs. While Adam takes Spider-Man back to Earth. We were not supposed to leave. Four million years ago, two armies were stranded on a world not their own. Waking in the modern day, their ages-old alien conflict revives on the planet Earth. Scouring this new world for resources and safeguarding the native life from their war, their one goal remains. We have to go back. The stories of these Autobots, Decepticons, and humans were published in the United Kingdom in a weekly comic book and broadcast as an animated series. And now there will be a podcast exploring these chronicles in their entirety. We have to go back to Cybertron. Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast, coming October 31st. And we're back. All right, so first of all, we got 
we got our cover, and we got Spider-Man in his natural habitat, outer space. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't go out there very often, does he? Are he's you sure? Clearly, he's also clearly unconscious. Space d- tends to do that to humans. I mean, I don't know when the last time you went out to space was, Don, but um, well, I mean, tell de- you. Depending on the quality of, of, of the cartoon, I'm sure he's been in space and, and was web-swinging just fine. He just didn't have to see the buildings or the planets or the moons. <laughs> Well, wait, wasn't there that one cartoon uh, in the 90s, Spider-Man Unlimited, where he goes to another planet? Yeah, it was, uh, it was Counter-Earth, counter where he fought the furries. It was, it, was, it, was, it was a trip. So he actually went to Counter-Earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never seen that, but I might have to do that for the show one day. Uh, it well, has Counter-Earth. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting. The, the intro was really awesome, but like, uh, it's a trip. Well, that's because uh, in the Warlock series in the 70s, when Rory Thomas was writing it and uh, Mike Friedrichs, that's where it all took place on, Counter-Earth. Oh, okay, cool. He was like the only superhero there. I genuinely thought that that Fox Kids made it up. Nope. Counter-Earth was kind of uh, created for Adam Warlock to like be able to be a Jesus metaphor without being on our Earth. That's why he dresses just like him. Yeah. Well, and- back in that day, he had a one piece jumpsuit with a big old lightning bolt. So even more like Jesus. <laughs> you know, when, when Jesus was in the speed force. When Jesus would say the word Shazam and, you know, bring people back to life. <laughs> yeah. You know, in Deuteronomy. Jesus Christ. Marvel star. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was on counter earth. He was the only hero there. Although they did have a few doppelgangers from the real earth. So like there was a Dr. Doom, but he was a professor, and he was a good guy, and he just wore normal clothes and a lab coat, but he still had the mask on. Oh, did he yeah, go by the name Professor Doom? Yeah. <laughs> the conceit was that this is a world with no superpowers, and so you had a lot of the same humans, but they did not have their same lives we have here. That is where, if you are familiar with the Fantastic Four villain, The Brute, a.k.a. John's favorite character in the world. I hate The Brute. That is where he comes from, because he is the Reed Richards of Counter-Earth. Interesting. So, but yeah. So, last actually, time we saw Adam Warlock, he had a size problem. I beg your pardon. That's private, John. <laughs> okay, so Don, you know <laughs> how the good. universe is expanding, right? Go on. <laughs> yeah. So, in the seventies, Jim Starlin did not understand space. And he had Adam Warlock out gallivanting around space. And he decided since he had spent so much time gallivanting in space, he had expanded. And so he comes back to home to go to Earth, and he is the size of our solar system. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I mean, I read this Marvel The Untold Story. Wasn't, like, all the cosmic writers, like, like dropping a lot of acid when they were writing this? Oh, yeah. Yep. Like, big time. Yes, they were. And you can oh tell God. from some of those stories. Full of stars. <laughs> Amazing. John, do you remember the clowns episode? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so but I yes. was really curious coming into this issue how they were going to resolve the size problem. Because I know that by the time we get to the annuals, he's back to normal size. So it's like, okay, what's going to happen? The book was canceled. How do we resolve? And so what does Bill Mantlo do? He's just like, oh, I'm regular size again. Okay, well, that's cool. Oh, so the eh explanation. Yeah, it's just like, all right. 
<laughs> Let's just make this happen and keep on going. There's more re- there's more excuses for how Spider-Man gets into space than how Warlock shrinks down. Oh, Don, what did you think of this whole like splash page with all of Spidey's villains coming around him? I know it's Mary Jane and all of his villains, including Aunt May. Um, I was like, I, I, it's kind of a preview for my thoughts on, on like half the issue, but like, I really enjoyed the artwork. I don't tend to see John Byrne illustrate Spider-Man. I know he did all throughout this title, um, but I was like, oh, cool. It, it's his, it's his Rose Gallery. There's a Hulk, but um, who's that, uh, you know, elfin creature on the left? And like, I quickly stopped caring. <laughs> but, um, uh, That's was, Wood God. Because That's right. Yeah, last, he's on the on the next page. Um, yeah, because the last issue or two was my was Spider Man teaming up with the Hulk and Wood God. So that's why the Hulk and Wood God are included in this little splash page. And yep, your reaction to Wood God was apparently pretty much everyone else's reaction to Wood God. Get off of my comic book. Because <laughs> he pretty much vanishes forever. He he's gone. I don't think he appears again until an issue of Quasar. Everyone's favorite character. Um, yeah, no, yeah, I never heard of him. Yeah, when Quasar rescues a bunch of people from the, it's either the Stranger's World or the Collector's World. I forget which. I think it's the Stranger's. Okay, so As, what 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 year are we at right now? So we're trying to trying to correlate this to like an ASM run. This is seventy six. All right, that would have been. Um, oh, sorry, wait, sorry. It says copyright seventy six. My apologies. March seventy seven issue. So like January. So I'm thinking like uh, John, like like Lynn Ween, Ross Andrew, baby. Uh, yeah, probably towards the back end of them. I'm looking it up now. Maybe um, Wolfman by this point, if it's 77 or 76. Come on, it was maybe a ween. You've got Mary Jane in a very 70s club outfit in the background there. Oh, yeah. Dig those um, bell bottoms. <laughs> Come on, Tiger. You're late for the disco. Mary Jane, this place is far out, just like we are in space. Okay, yeah, Ween and Andrew, 166 is out right now uh, with Lizard and the Reptile Men. So Amazing Spider-Man 166 is the current issue. So about a year away from the original Clone Saga. A little more, just over a year. So this has continuity previous issues, which they kind of like wrap up really fast at the beginning. Yeah, um, there was a away. And Wood God go away to destroy Scream and Man along with it. Yeah, I kind of want to read that issue to figure out what the heck is the scream. I mean, is the scream rockets? Like, so rockets is his problem. Rockets take away his mother, his father, his friends. Like, this poor guy. No. Everywhere he goes, rockets take things away from him. No, I can't believe I actually know something about Wood God. Um, Wood God. <laughs> the sort of like the rage that makes men evil. So like the inner drive of people to be destructive and hurtful. That is Scream. Uh-huh. And so he wants to destroy, basically, evil. It's a really weird 70s, like, sort of spiritualistic, but also naturalistic, because he's a freaking fawn. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I thought, you know, I thought when I did a, a um, April Fool's episode all about Angar the Screamer, I thought that was obscure. But, <laughs> my God, would God. I only know it because of the friggin' Marvel team up issues. He's in a couple of them, but uh, but anyways. But yeah, so Spidey's rocket gets caught by a Warlock, who is like you said already shrunk down somewhat. I mean, he's bigger than the rocket, but you know, he's, before he was so giant, like the Earth was what he say was the size of his fingernail. Well, he keeps shrinking. By the time he gets on par with Spider Man, he's the same size. 
So he's just like all of a sudden yeah. massive weight loss. And John, spoiler, we are not going to find out anything about this in the annuals. It's not going to be until the Marvel 2 and 1 issues that we're going to cover. Okay. Where an explanation is given. For the size change? Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess, yeah. Well, speaking of really big people, the stranger shows up. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. This is another character who's like, huh, this is, this is someone that's new to me. So you, you'd never heard of the stranger before, Don? I figured that like I heard of several characters in Marvel called the Stranger, but like this is this is the first time I ever saw this guy, who's so like in like fir- Mr. Miracle's clo- colors and stuff. His first appearance is back whenever Lee and Kirby were still doing the X Men. Um, number eleven, and, yeah, yeah, number eleven, and he is just like this cosmic being who's walking around Earth checking stuff out and really doesn't like being bothered because he's a stranger. He says this over and over again: "I am a stranger. Leave me alone." Um, <laughs> You know, and, if you want people to leave you alone, though, you really wouldn't be spending that much time working on your mustache. <laughs> he seems like a massive, <laughs> massive douche. Uh, I mean, he wants everyone to pay attention. Yeah. Don't pay attention to me. I am a stranger. I am the stranger. Don't look at me. Let me fix that mustache up. Don't look at me. I'm the stranger. Men call me the stranger. No one calls you that. You insist people call you that. Yeah. Does it count as a nickname if you give it yourself? Crazy thing is, other than the Watcher, he is Marvel's first character who goes on to be a genuinely cosmic entity. So, I would say he's one of the bigger, like more important ones. But like in Infinity War, he's one of the people who's at the big council to figure out what to do with the Infinity Gauntlet, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he usually shows up when they have all the cosmic muckety mucks hanging out, and nobody ever likes him. No, no, no one does. They all think he's a douche. To be fair, he is. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I would agree with this. <laughs> He's like, I want these gem. I want your gem. Gimme. Which is, you know, normal for cosmic beings. Gimme stuff. They're very grabby. And Spider-Man's yes. dialogue. <laughs> oh my god, he is so social, like like punny and quippy and like but like over time. Wow, what zapping golden boys out. You just met this guy. He looks like he's been immolated. <laughs> Well, to be fair to Spidey, he's also on the moon. I mean, I like that page before where he just like jumps out and is hanging out on the rock. He's like, thanks for helping me. Like, glad you got me back down to Wise Earth over there. <laughs> that was pretty good. I, I agree. Wait, what's going on here? Why am I on the moon? Am I on the moon? Son of a bitch. So I'm also not, I'm also kind of like, like, like uh, slow on some Fantastic Four. So has this blue area on the moon been established before? Oh, yeah, way, way back. It's an early Lee Kirby thing, too. <laughs> I'm not surprised because there was an issue where, like, where, like Dr. Doom was just shot into space, and he, and he, he was fine. <laughs> so, but, yeah, this, this seems cartoonish. Ever since they did The Watcher, there's been this blue area on the moon where he lives that has the atmosphere. So they go there. I think the Inhumans lived in the same space for a while. Yeah, um, they moved the Tillin from uh, the Himalayas to the blue area. When Steve Englehart did his Avengers run, he eventually gave backstory to it that it was actually part of um, a scroll outpost, I think. Uh, it was the scrolls before the Kree Scroll War when they were still pretty benevolent. Yeah. And they went to the Kree's original planet, which is had two races, the Kree and the Kotai, like those plant people. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we're going to help one of you. So we're going to have you guys do some work somewhere and you know, we're going to see who's, the, who does stuff the best. And I believe it was the Kotai who create 
the blue area of the moon. Like here's an here's a you know hospitable place on this inhospitable area, and the Kree create some kind of weapon and. They're not happy that the Kotai win, so they kill them and then attack the scrolls, and that basically starts the whole Kree Scroll War. And Jean Grey dies here. It's all sorts of good stuff. It's 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 a landmark. <laughs> well, it's a it's a convenient place. You can go in outer space, but you don't have to deal with the fact of oh, we got to draw now spacesuits and oxygen tanks and helmets. Can people use their powers through these things? It's like nope, nope. Blue area of the moon. Everything's cool. So I have a question for you, Al. Um, yes. Both the gardener. And the stranger already have a gem. Now I'm pretty yes. sure this is the gardener's first appearance. It is. But do we did we did we already know that the stranger had a gem? I don't think so. You know, you know the funny thing is I looked to see where he goes next and I forgot to see where he went before. <laughs> I'm going to chronology project real quick just to look him up. The gardener. Do you mean high father? <laughs> How does he get his beard so quaint? That's what I want to know. <laughs> the power of gardening. <laughs> yeah, it's, kind of funny. it's kind of funny you call him that because I just read the Hercules miniseries from the 80s by Bob Layton, and they keep calling Zeus the High Father. Oh, do they? <laughs> yes. Wow. We. Well, because hmm. well, Kirby created like 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 Marvel Zeus, right? Because he created Marvel's Hercules. I'm going to assume so. I don't know for certain, but I'm pretty certain Hercules first appeared in. Thor when he was still doing it, so I want to say yes. So you know, there's no shame in one ripping off one that oneself. Yeah, or maybe there is much. <laughs> but um, I know the stranger has the power gem. Oh, okay. So these are the infinity gems. Yes, these yes. are the infinity gems. But this is when they weren't. They didn't have it figured out yet. Yeah. Adam Warlock. Got... The, okay. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go. Oh, sorry. Go on. Well, just I was just I was remembering. Yeah, Warlock has the soul gem. And yeah. what are the and 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 strangers power gem? So what does a uh, uh, gardener have? The time gem. Interesting. Now at this point, here's the thing: when the the solar gems were introduced in Warlock's first solo issue, Marvel Premiere number one, and it was just called "Here's here's the soul gem. Take it, have fun on Counter Earth," and that's all we knew about it. It was called the soul gem. And then later on in Warlock's run, in issue fifteen, actually which is like his last appearance before this. Jim Starlin has the soul gem say, I am one of the six. And so this is the next thing we've seen afterwards. So all we know right now is Warlock has something called the soul gem. Now we know it's one of six something. And now we see three soul gems because they're really going to be called soul gems until right around Infinity Gauntlet. I'm also personally very stingy because I think that uh, gems sound better than stones, so I, I insist calling them Infinity Gems. Also, because I played Marvel Superheroes, the Capcom fighting game, which is awesome, and uh, I think someone said, that, oh, they changed to Infinity Gems because gems sound too girly, and I'm like, there's nothing girly about Steven Universe, shut up! So, I've, I've been pretty insistent on like sticking with the gem moniker. I like, I prefer gems, but to be fair, all right now, all except the Soul Gem are actually sto- you know, drawn to look like rocks now. <laughs> Way to go burn. <laughs> so they all look like rocks currently in the current like 2020 right now. So they are stones, unfortunately. I prefer gems still, but at least they've made that an in-story con they've made that an in-story point. Like people were wondering, well, why are they different colors and why are they stones, not gems? They changed to stones? Yeah. So they actually changed uh, them, but at least they made it a a, po- a plot point. They didn't just change it and go, yeah, deal with it. 
Okay. They didn't just come out of nowhere just to match the movies like, 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 oh, I don't know, Old Man Quill and the like. I mean, they did do that just to match the movies, but at least they gave a, you know, they said there's a, there's something going on. You know, everyone noticed the difference. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know which is more egregious, that or like, you know, oh look, it's Black Fury in Six One Six Marvel. Never mind. Yeah. Well, again, they there. They gave an excuse. You know, he's he's Nick Fury's son. I, <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah, they, they, they handed something to swallow, and it depends on how strong your your, your tolerance is to, to swallow. Anyways, getting off topic, and that's my fault. Um, no, that's okay. We were talking about some of this sort of recording I did yesterday. We were talking about resurrection and death, and we were saying, you know, there are times when people are resurrected, and they just, you know, it's not really them coming back to death in the story. It's a retcon. Like Jean Grey was actually under, you know, in a cocoon and wasn't out, wasn't um, Phoenix or Aunt May didn't die. It was an actress. You know, you yeah. might think they're good. You might think they're stupid, <laughs> but there they are. More often than not, the latter. Um, did Jean? Well, last shed was Jean the second time. Was she actually killed by Zornito, or was was that also a fake <clears throat> fake out? As far as I know, yes, but I haven't really been too up on X-Men the last several years, so I really haven't read anything since she came back. Same response. My understanding is that when she died at the end of the Morrison run, she really, really died. And uh, something happened, whatever that was, two years ago, three years ago, that brought her back. Gotcha. Um, Can I talk about the dialogue? Sure. (laughs) In this comic? Yeah. (laughs) Go right ahead. I really didn't like it. I think the art throughout this is awesome. I really, really like this era of Burns' artwork. And I'm not totally familiar with it, but I love how he's drawn Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. As, as a very classic Bronze Age-like, athletic-looking Spider-Man. I think the colors are great. I think the poses... Like like, like, um, like Gal said, I love how he's popped out of the rocket ship and he's like already hanging on the door, other side of the door that Adam Warlock is holding above his head. I think that's really cool. I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of great poses, stuff like the, the artwork to me is every bit as awesome as the dialogue is not because no one is shutting up in this book. And they're, I mean, we're in the late seventies and they're still talking in that kind of faux Roy Thomas, Stanley kind of like, you know, uh, OTT theatrical kind of, it's very histrionic, histrionic because like, it's this sort of like Shakespearean. This is the most important thing that's ever happened to us ever. And it's, it has a numbing effect where you're just like not taking it very seriously. And as a result, the story to me came off as really lame. But like it was offset by the awesome artwork. But there's a particular moment when Warlock is, is free from the machine, and he has this Kirby pose, which is awesome. And he's like, "I am free!" In seeking to stop Spider-Man, the Stranger himself severed the bonds which held me, and Adam Warlock shall be revenge. Like, first of all, there's a lot of describing what's going on or what has already happened for no reason to no one. <laughs> and secondly. It's one of those things where, like, if, if this matters so much and you were, you were that upset, are you really going to, like, tell everybody about that? <laughs> and I, I'm not, like, sitting here, like, you know, crossing my arms, but it's just, like, man, th- it may have been a while since I've read an old-school Marvel comic because this one really struck out as, like, it's it's very, 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 very comic booky, y um, And I'm not used to this kind of storytelling. I've just, I just not been reading this kind of era, this era recently. Like, Adam Warlock is crying because the gardener lost his garden. <laughs> Right, it's a bit much. Um, so th- it, I, I thought I found this issue to be kind of like um, I, I had I had two minds of this issue throughout. Yeah, well, I can I can see that. I mean, it is a little different for Warlock because really, since Starlin took him over several year a couple years ago, this is the first time anyone's writing him besides Starlin. Oh, okay. 
And so. Bill Mantlo, man, Bill Mantlo did so much Marvel in the 70s and 80s. But he can be really, really fun to read or really, really not. It's, it. I don't know. I, I really like him when I like him. Yeah, well, I mean, he does a lot of fill-in stuff. So my question, the question is always going to be for me is, well, is this a fill-in thing of his? And if so, how much time did he have? Mm-hmm. You know, did he have a few weeks to work on this? Or is like this one of those things where like, Bill, what are you doing this weekend? Well, I was thinking, great, here you go. We need this Monday morning. <laughs> ah, crap. I mean, because yeah, I believe he wrote that like Black Cat Doc Ock story in Spectacular. So like, I'm, I'm not, I don't think it's Bill Mantlo specifically. It's just like for this one. And I guess because I was concentrating on Burns' artwork and Burn has a certain way of writing, I guess I had him in my mind more so than blaming Bill Mantlo. But it does, you're right; it does very. It, this is a filler story. Like it's pretty. It's you're in and out. There's zero consequences. I suppose this is the first time Spider-Man's ever been in space, which is cool. Like, like that because that's something that like eventually had happened, and I never actually knew when that first did. So that's a notable thing. At least these, like you said, at least we had the artwork, which is great, and I do like that Burn does pay attention to the Spider-Man. The posing, like the like you said, he's hanging on the door. Because it's one thing about Spider-Man, I always thought it's not just the wor- his chattering to keep himself from basically freaking out. It's he can't sit still. He is like a nervous mass of energy, so he should always be on some wall, hanging upside down, moving over here, jumping on this. Yeah, there's a bit in the. It kind of reminds me of um, in uh, Infinity War. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Avengers: Infinity War, the movie where Strange and Iron Man are talking, and then like all of a sudden, like Holland is like. Hanging, hanging upside down from a web in a very Spider-Man-like way, casually talking, and I was like, that's a Spider-Man move. Yeah. So I do like when that. I do like that, but... Oh, John, did you find out where the stranger was before this? Okay, so yeah, he was in um, Captain Marvel 42, and hmm. Fantastic Four 116 before that. Thor 178 before that, and Silver Surfer 5 before that. So a bunch of random appearances. And Captain Marvel seems like the one that's most likely to have any reference to Soul Gems, but um, that, want to say, would have been an Engelhart issue? That sounds right to me, an Engelhart issue, because, yeah, that's after Starlin left. Uh, Yeah, and that would have been just a little bit before, like a year before this. Steve Engelhart, shoot out of the OK Cosmic Corral. I remember reading this. I feel like it doesn't have anything to do with the Soul Gem, but I don't remember for specifically. I, I'm going to say probably not, because as far as I know, since Starlin only recently introduced the concept that there were being more than one, this is probably the first time they're doing anything with that. Yeah, they're probably just throwing things at the wall. Now, Thanos is going to have all six Soul Gems for the annual that wraps everything up, right? Yes, but he's still going to call them Soul Gems. Right. The Infinity concept isn't going to come up until that uh, the the uh, the Thanos Quest two issue miniseries, the Starlin revival leading into the Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, have we, have we met Thanos by this point? I mean, I know he's referenced in the first, and like he's, he's he's mentioned in this issue. Yes, Thanos has already had his uh, classic run against Captain Marvel with the Cosmic Cube a few years before that, and he's also appeared in a couple issues of Warlock, fighting against the Magus. So Which is the Afro-wearing, purple-skinned future evil Adam Warlock. <laughs> also, I'm seeing now that he first appeared in Iron Man, so he would have first appeared. Yeah, so Thanos had a big run with Captain Marvel that's called the Thanos War, where he wanted the Cosmic Cube. Uh, he helps um, Adam Warlock 
an Adam Warlock series, and then Starlin quits Marvel and comes back to do two a two part annual story where he wraps up his Thanos and Adam Warlock plot lines, and then Starlin goes away for a while and comes back and gears up for the Infinity Gauntlet, you know, in like ninety ninety one. So. Thanos and Adam Warlock are both off the table, more or less, for like 15 years. Yeah, Starlin's busy killing off Robin. <laughs> As one does. As I'm sure he put in all of his effort into, considering he loved the character so much. <laughs> okay, so let's see. There's. I'm skimming real quick through that issue of Captain Marvel. So they need a they need a old-time Western prospector with a space helmet on, and then his hat on top of that. Okay, and the stranger, and who says stranger, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> well, you know, okay, he looks really like weird. Santa. No, no, the gardener and... looks like Santa. Stranger does not look like Santa. Nope, stranger does not have a gem. Okay, so Bill Mantlo just made that up. Or maybe the artist did, but, you know, together. Um, so. The gardener's gem gets burnt out in this it says it can only be a weapon it cannot be used as a force for creation anymore which is interesting i'm sure nothing will ever come of that but the idea that a gem would get corrupted and lose some of its functionality is is an interesting idea especially since they've already introduced that in war in the warlock series with the his soul gem having something evil inside of it vampiric tendencies I still can't get over it. Spider-Man's like, he's gone. Man, it's just like a a dream, Spider-Man. A dream of peace and a single manly tear. Yeah, <laughs> a single tear. And then I was like, oh, give me a break. <laughs> well, it's like you were saying earlier, like, the serious lines are so damn serious. And the Spider-Man lines are so damn cheesy. And it's like, there's just these two far polar opposites of Toad in this book. You just remind me. You said his single tear. Have either of you ever watched the show Supernatural? Oh yeah, I have seen it. I didn't watch it. Do you know? Okay, Don. Do you know? Uh, do you remember the? I think it was the hundredth episode. The, the the musical one. Uh oh, with, with like like the like the school musical. Yeah. Yeah, the song "Single Man Tear." <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. I think that's going in right about here. A single man tear. A single. A single man tear that's all we fear. <laughs> Why are they kissing? <laughs> it's subtext. Have so, you guys wait, so, um, uh, played the um, Marvel Superhero fighting game? I have not. John? Uh, I've played the Marvel Superheroes like adventure game on... Xbox or PlayStation? Oh man, it's a classic. It's such a classic, and that I, I think that that was very like an information. It was very educational for a lot of young uh, Marvel fans because like it was. It's very very much patterned after Infinity Gauntlet. Um, like in the final fight or like in the final round when you do fight Thanos, it's on like I forget where they were. Where they actually fighting him in the storyline, but you see like uh, like Thor. Like the Iron Glasses and Thor and, and She-Hulk and Scarlet Witch all turn to stone and stuff. And it's, it's it, I, I think the, the orbit that this kind of surrounds draws us up to that storyline, obviously. So it is kind of cool seeing that, like, you know, having known that these are the, the origins of the gems and like the way that this seeds that kind of draws more interest than, um, you know, the loss of the gardener's garden. The only thing I'm concerned about is what about the animals that live there? Are they going to die now? I'm sure they'll be okay. 
Gardner. They're not going to die now. They're already dead because the garden's gone. He has a Pikachu. Pikachu. The, when the first time you see the gar- the, uh, the, gar- the gardener, he has like he has like a golem in a tree and a Pikachu at, at his feet. As we all flip back to see the Pikachu. <gasps> You're right. Pikachu. Yeah. This is madness. Oh, so they're fine. He just put in the Pokeballs and took them with him. That's cool. <laughs> that's my head cannon, and that's what happened. He flies away on a Pidgeotto. Hey, 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 guys, hey, guys, hey, guys. Why are Pokemon trainers always creepers? Because they're always trying to catch a Pikachu. Ah. I was was predicting something far less creative. (laughs) (laughs) That still hurt. Physically. I'll just just go. No, no, no. Stay here. Otherwise, you're going to subject your children to this, and I can't be a part to that. (laughs) Running out of things to say, Adam Warlock is kind of a non-entity in this story. I'm honestly wondering if the whole thing could have happened without him being there. I mean, the stranger wants his gem, so he's like the MacGuffin of the story. But he could also be a box with a gem in it, and the story would happen the same way. You could still have him searching and messing stuff up while the gardener hides. The one thing he does with any agency whatsoever in the story is help the gardener take down the stranger, but they could have just as easily written that with the strain with the gardener himself taking down the stranger. Yeah. It's weird how Warlock is just like not a person in this. No, I mean, well, to be fair, he also does save Spider-Man in the very beginning. But again, though, of course, they could have had the gardener do that, and Spider-Man wonder who saved him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this whole mm-hmm. thing could have been done without Warlock, with the stranger just coming in, going, "You give me the gem," and Spider-Man going, "What gem?" as he, you know, stranger blasts him. He could have also just crashed in that blue area. That would have been a problem. Yeah. I do like how he, uh, like, oh, I can sense that, that somebody's inside that rocket. I'll, I'll save them. Like, like he, him meeting Spider-Man is like him just, just performing heroic act. I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah. Well, you can't be space Jesus if you're going to just, you know, ignore people <laughs> in trouble. You help like, someone's, someone's in a costume suffocating that rocket ship. That's interesting. <laughs> so Spider-Man's the first person in the Marvel universe that we care about that has gotten to meet Adam Warlock. Yeah, basically, I mean, the closest would be Alicia Masters, because she talked to him while he was still in his cocoon. Okay, it's not it's not the fact that like he was in front of her, she couldn't see him. It's like literally he wasn't there yet. Oh, that's yeah. right. If we go all the way back in time, you mean? Yeah, to his first appearance. Okay, so yeah, the Fantastic Four and Thor saw him then. Well, yeah, Thor beat the crap out of him. Right. Okay, so I get that. <laughs> it's when Adam learned you ask a lady out. You don't tell the lady you're going out. I say thee nay. <laughs> but since he has become Adam Warlock and no longer just him. Yes. Spider-Man is the first main Marvel Universe character who has you know, interacted with him that we care about. I was going to say the High Evolutionary, but really, no one cares about the High, high Evolutionary. No one. Not even kind of. Not even the Low Evolutionary. Nope. All the Low Evolutionaries, the Marvel Evolutionaries, the Pop Evolutionaries. Brunch. And yeah, so the, it ends. The gardener goes away. The stranger runs off to appear in the champions and help them out. I guess he decides to be nice there. Yeah, I was, was going to say, he, he's a dick in this one. Like, is he meant to be a good guy? He's one of those cosmic guys who's whoever you want him to be. You want him to be a dick? He's a dick. You want him to be a slightly helpful dick? He's a slightly helpful. Yeah, he's a dick. Who is it we're talking about? The stranger. Oh, yes. 
he's always still a dick. I mean, it's interesting that he kind of ends up being a bit more consequential because this this one reeks of a of a Stanley creation that doesn't seem to be put a lot of thought into it. It's a guy with a mustache and a cape who's just screaming about how much of a of a thing he is, and like, him like you know hooking up Warlock to his kinky machine, his New Teen Titans machine, was like okay, well this this is a little bit nefarious, but um, yeah, the Stranger basically is well pretty much that. He, I mean, his first X-Men appearance, he just kind of shows up and goes, all right, you know what? This Magneto guy's interesting. I'm going to take him away. Bye. And that's kind of what he does. He just randomly shows up. He's like a he's like a lesser version of the Collector, except he doesn't actually have anything of in- that interests him. He just kind of randomly grabs things. Interesting. He goes, he's like, oh, this looks interesting. I'm taking this with me. Well, don't forget Wood God. Um, he's going to be in several issues of the Hulk in 1980. Before going on to Quasar, like you said. Okay, I forgot about this. But yes, ends with the uh, gardener leaving the, the stone on the moon, it looks like. And uh, so the time stone will appear again next time in that Avengers annual. Uh, the gardener goes to show up in some issues of The Incredible Hulk. Uh, next time in 246 and 247. When the Hulk is trying to uh, bury... Oh god, what is her name? Jarella. Hmm. Uh, the Stranger goes on to, if anyone cares, which no one does, in Champions number 12. And Spider-Man's next appearance, according to Marvel Chronology, is a uh, project is Human Fly number one. He is in the first issue of the Human Fly, that's right. A series that I'm positive lasts forever. 19 uh, issues, actually. 19? Well, I was going to go for six. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's 19 for that one. That's the one of the guy who supposedly was a real stuntman. Yeah, I mean, he was the poor man's evil Knievel, but he was a thing for a while. I was surprised because I never really heard about him. I remember somebody was talking about the real character on another podcast. I forget which one, though, now. And apparently there's still some mystery about exactly who he was. They kept his identity a mystery. Wow. Okay. That's big you. Yeah. And so that's Marvel Team Up 55. Not the greatest Warlock story. I'm glad to hear it, because it really wasn't. No, it was not. It was just, we need to put somebody in here. Well, he went into space. Yeah, Warlock. Was Burn on its entire title? Marvel Team-Up? Yeah. No, it it went through creative teams like Debbie went through Dallas. But then... (laughs) Sexually, I see. Um, Okay, It it, it was an interesting contrast. I really enjoyed the art, and... I really rolled my eyes at the dialogue because it was a very much uh, kind of like bipolar issue for me. But like, I, if there's a lot more of Burns' work on on uh, Marvel Team Up, I'd endeavor to check it out just because like I know this is kind of a Spider-Man Team Up book, in the way that like Brave and the Bold was a Batman Team Up book. So like, I would be interested in seeing more. Although I mean, like I'm, I'm I don't love Spider-Man being outside of his element this much, where like he's like in space and stuff. It's not the worst thing ever, but I I at least read Spider-Man for the you know. He fights villains and then goes home and realizes how much his life is messed up because he fought a villain kind of thing. And when he's away and like there's like none of the characteristic trappings, it's a little of a diminishing returns for me. But like at the same time, a this this is Marvel history, and two the artwork is really good. So I'm I'm more intrigued to follow up on this than I might have been before. So um, despite the <laughs> gregarious uh, dialogue in it. On a recent episode of Make Ours Marvel. We talked about 
the Doctor Strange Spider-Man team-up annual from 1965, I think. And that felt like a Marvel team-up issue. And Michael Kaiser was saying that one of the cool things about Spider-Man comics is you finish the bad guy fight, and there's still like three or four pages of story where he's interacting with a supporting cast and resolving stuff with a Bugle or Aunt May or Betty or whatever. Um, and I think that's one of the things that makes Spider-Man appealing. Marvel team-up sadly never really – that's not what the book is there for. So it doesn't really groove on the whole supporting cast element. But the better eras of Marvel team-up still managed to get some compelling Peter Parker as Spider-Man you know, storytelling in there. Yeah, it's been a while since I've read a lot of them, but I want to I want to say that some of the ones that Claremont and Byrne did, where they do some of that, they try to include some of the supporting cast. Yeah, just looking at um, his credit list, this artist does three issues: fifty three, fifty four, and fifty five. That was the Hulk, Wood God, um, Captain uh, Adam Warlock story, and then comes back on fifty nine, and then he's on this book for another. 12 issues after that through 70. So um, a little bit of a run, and that's where he goes over to do X-Men. And a lot of those issues were Chris Claremont issues. Actually, he would have been on X-Men already. Because remember, Jean Grey dies in 1980. I mean, Phoenix dies in 1980. So he would have been on this already. He would have, I think he would have been on X-Men by now. Okay, not by now what we're talking about, but by the during his Marvel team-up run, he does pick up the X-Men. Or at least at, at that okay. point. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah. if 137's in 1980, this is three years before. His Marvel team-up run ends in 1978. So, which around is, that time, then. Yeah, it's concurrent with X-Men 111, because X-Men was uh, bi-monthly for a while. So, And I think he starts at, like, 107 or 109. Yeah, yeah, 108. So, okay, so oh, so I was close. Yeah. Not yet, but not yet at the time this issue came out, but shortly after, a little bit afterwards. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that that was it for that. Uh, let's see. Well, they do mention war. Actually, two things on the bullpen's bulletin page. They do mention. Let's close out this month's session with a gl- glance into the crystal ball for a few hints about what's in store for the future. For those who have been wondering what's happened to Warlock and Deathlock since the demise of their own titles, watch up and coming issues of Marvel Team Up, Marvel Two and One, and Marvel Spotlight. So they do hype that up. And also in Stanley's Soapbox, it is all about the beginning of the Spider-Man newspaper strip. Oh, interesting. Which I've never read much of at all. It's some of John Romita's best work. Oh, yeah? I, I, I think so. It's, it's, it's gorgeous, just like simple line work, John Romita artwork. And, and Stanley is also there, too. <laughs> it's, it's, it's about as cookie-cutter as Spider-Man stories get. But like the artwork is, is why you read it, at least in my, in my opinion. Yeah, I used to try and read that when I was younger, but the newspaper in my where I lived in Jersey did not carry it. So it was only whenever I thought about getting like uh, the Daily News or whatever, if I was in a store that had it, that I could actually read it. But I think at that point it was more money. It was spending way more money on that than, you know, if I wanted to buy comics. So I bought comics because, you know, that'd be like a daily thing to buy, like 35 cents a day or something like that. Donovan, you should know that Ellie Rosenfeld thought that the artwork on this issue was okay. Um, the artist does not draw Spidey as well as the previous artists on this book. And that previous artist was, I don't know. <laughs> Why did he put me on the spotlight like that? I don't know. 
Um, oh, yes, the letters page. I don't recognize any of the names on the letters page. Sal Buscema has been the artist on this for a while and will continue doing it um, for a few more issues and then this artist comes back. Um, hmm. I, I like Buscema in the 90s. I don't know how much I would... I'm, I'm not familiar, I'm familiar with him in the 70s, but like... Uh, <laughs> He is very house style. A lot yeah. of the stuff that makes Sal Buscema who he is in the early '90s, you can only occasionally see occasionally see nascent elements of that. Um, he's pretty, favorite. yeah. He's just a really reliable house style artist. Because he's on Hulk at this time, right? I think so. Yeah, around this time. So apparently, according <laughs> to the letters page, Larry Twiss likes the Wood God character. Yeah, and thought that we had seen the last of Warlock and was kind of hoping that we had. <laughs> he says there was a credible reason why Warlock should never enter the Marvel Universe again. We should have just written him out for good. I'm sure he's, he's reading Marvel to this day because of their adherence to his wishes. Right. And they do uh, talk about the annual and the response to that. Yeah, that's going to be wrapping, wrapping things up. Yeah, because he's talking about the fact that, like, you know, since Starlin's not doing it anymore, it's a nice to, you know, it was a nice way to write him out where the creator's not doing it, which, you know, we have happened so much in comics. Oh, and Ken Meyer loved the humor in Spidey's battle with the stranger. Great. <laughs> oh, well. I mean, I don't know if I, I think Spider-Man I had least less of a problem with. Uh, he never showed up. And that was a little annoying. But like, uh. That's the point. It, it was still, <laughs> it was, it was still him. Yeah. Whereas like everyone else was, was like, you know, this is the most important thing that's ever happened to me today. And, and he was kind of just like quipping the whole time. So like, I put it with that more than most of the other portentous lines. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny about that. Cause I mean, if Starlin had written something like this, written this, it would have been based on what he had seen right before about Warlock. Warlock would have been more looking at the stranger going, why are you bothering me? Who are you? I have more important things to deal with than you. Go away. I mean, correct me, John, if I'm wrong, if you think I'm wrong on that. No, no. And like I said, Warlock isn't really a character in this. Yeah. I mean, basically all this does is just to go, okay, Warlock's normal size now. The, that's the only lasting effect that we get out of this is since his series was canceled with him being a gigantic cosmic giant um this bringing him back to size at least lets the annuals happen without having to address that plot point if you're unaware don um starlin quit warlock and or warlock was canceled i'm not entirely sure which happened to which first but he had he was just getting ready to set up some plot lines and so the last issue actually feels like more setup than resolution and then it yeah. just kind of stops yeah, that sucks yeah so the annuals tie up the main plot lines, but you get the feeling that there definitely were events between issue 15 and the annual story. We just don't get to see much of what they were. Yeah, they hint about, like like we saw at the annual, they hint a little bit at it in the beginning of the annual. And some other stuff happens in some other, uh, including that, Mar I think it's the Marvel 2 and 1 issues where they kind of, some stuff's mentioned in between. About but, um, like, Warlock showing up somewhere and doing stuff. But yeah, this was, uh, this was one of those appearances that, I always feel like I go through too quickly and gloss over. I don't really think about it. And now that I have thought about it a bit, I'm like, okay, well, that's a thing. Next. Your first instinct was right. <laughs> yeah. 
kind of gloss over it. Thankfully, the next two appearances of Warlock will be much better. More significant. Is, I'm going to hold yeah. you to that. Oh, Avengers Annual 7 and Marvel 2 and 1 Annual 2. Definitely a lot better. Tony Stark makes you feel he's a cool exec with a heart of steel. And Iron Man all gets a place. He's like and Iron Man in City Crisis. Quirkagard, a philosophically sinister villain, aims his existential depression ray at New York City's water supply. Puny humans are about to learn the sad truth about life. Iron Man returns to a New York City that is seized by sadness and sorrow. Someone's taken the fun out of Fun City. This could only be the work of Quirkigard. What's the use? Another day, another disaster. I feel so low. I have to look up to see the bottom of my shoes. Later, at Tony Stark's laboratory outside New York, Iron Man is being briefed. I believe it's the water that's causing all of New York's problems. Kids haven't been affected because they haven't forgotten how to play. Water. I believe I know where Quirkyard is. Okay, you maudlin monster. Your depressing days of disaster are over. Never, Shellhead. Your hide may be thick, but your head is soft. Oh gosh. I feel too sad even to fight. But I must try. Quirkyard. Now it's my turn to make you down and out. Wow! Delicious hostess Twinkies cakes! Light creamed filling. Great! Oh boy, golden sponge cake. The kids' laughter is weakening the raise effect. Later, at Central Park, Iron Man takes action to save New York City. It's up to you kids to save New York. Your laughter is the city's only hope. Be happy, and here are Hostess Twinkies Cakes to help you. Yum! Creamed filling! Delicious! Mmm, Hostess Twinkie Cake! Great golden sponge cake! You get, you get a, a big, big delight. delight! In every bite! Of Hostess Twinkies Cakes! So first of all, I want to thank everyone who helped me to bring that classic of literature to life. So big thank you to Hugh Allen, Paul Showens, Mark Adams, and his children Charlotte and Catherine, or is that Catherine and Charlotte? I forget which. Sarah Sentry, Alexis Henya, Jeff and Rick from Jeff and Rick Present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, and Rick's daughter Carrie, and John M. Wilson and his children Lily and Keenan. Don't think I missed anybody. Thank you to all of you. I really do appreciate it. Now, these hostess ads are fun. They're goofy. But still, this was about depression, and depression is a serious thing in real life. So for anyone out there who actually is dealing with real depression and having problems with it, please talk to somebody. Uh, you don't feel like you have anyone to talk to? 
there's always the National Hopeline Network, 1-800-784-2433, or go to www.mentalhelp.net backslash depression backslash hotline backslash. If your depression is leading to suicidal thoughts, call the National Hopeline to connect with a depression treatment center in your area. The Hopeline also offers a live chat feature for those who don't want to or are unable to call and can dispatch emergency crews to your location if necessary. Link will be in the show notes, so please, if you are having serious issues, please reach out to somebody. All right, now before we go on with other things, Mark Adams and Charlotte and Catherine, or again, Catherine and Charlotte, I forget which, besides sending in their script, their lines, they also actually, well, they went a step above and beyond. Here's Mark to explain. I'm Mark Adams from Mark Smith's podcast, and I'm here with my daughters Charlotte and Catherine and their mother, Julie, and we're going to be trying Twinkies. We we don't really have Twinkies over here in the UK. You can get them some from speciality shops of American chocolates, but it's not something we would find in our normal uh, shops. So we have bought ourselves each a Twinkie. Now, first of all, Julie, you're more of a connoisseur than these two. What would your like afternoon snack be? Scone. A scone. Now, you may have to explain what a scone is. They, they, Americans may not have scones. Well, how do you describe scones? I have no idea. I have a way. It's a little bread, a sweet bread roll thing, and then you cut open and you can put jam in it. Well, it's it's a bit like what Americans call biscuits, <laughs> as in biscuits and gravy. Now, to us, biscuits and gravy is bisto and digestives, which you'd never put together. Before we start... These were invented in 1930-ish, and they were quite ordinary to start with. But then the ingredients got more elaborate, so they'd last longer. And legend has it that they'd survive any war, any nuclear war. But I I don't think that's true. They wouldn't blow up? Well, they wouldn't sort of go off. I I want someone to make an experiment of how long they actually last. I think you can go online and find experiments on that. I hope so. Yeah, You you look that up afterwards. First of all, Charlotte's going to read the ingredients from a website. This is this is pure poetry. Do you want me to read the brackets as well? Read the, everything there is. Okay. Enriched bleached white flour, mm. which is flour, reduced iron, B vitamins, which is, I may pronounce some of these wrong, nascent thymine mononitrate, which is B1, riboflavin, which is B2, and folic acid. Then there's corn syrup, sugar, high fructose corn syrup, water, partially hydrated vegetable and or animal shortening, which is soybean, cottonseed and or canola oil and beef fat. Whole eggs, dextrose, contains 2% or less of modified cornstarch, glucose, leavenings, which is sodium acid, pyrophosphate, baking soda, monocalcium and phosphate. Then there's sweet dairy whey, soy protein, isolate, calcium and sodium caseinate, salt, mono and diglycerides, polysorbate 60, soy lecithin, soy flour, cornstarch, cellulose gum, sodium, natural and artificial flavours, sorbic acid to retain freshness, and then there's your E numbers, which is yellow 5 and red 40. Just two E numbers, must be healthy. Well, hold on. These are things I would have grown up having them in movies. Uh, The one I can remember definitely is Die Hard, where the cop who uh, patrolled around Nakatomi Tower, he went in to buy Twinkies for his pregnant wife. 
So, like, first first thing we're going to do, we're going to open them, and we're going to smell them. That's like a Barney. I never had one of those, so I don't know. And also kind of like brioche. I feel like these are going to be like the Barney things. Oh, they're sticky. Yeah, there's cream inside. Have a smell first. Ooh. Right, on your marks. Ooh, sticky. Get set. Here you go. Well, it's not as bad as I thought it would be. The cream tastes like the fluff marshmallow thing. Mm. It's very sweet, very thick and sweet. Not very creamy. Oh, that's a lot of sugar. I like that. It's quite nice. You like them? Yeah, no bad. Tastes a bit artificial, but it's nice. Well, it does say there's artificial stuff in it. It is very sticky, though, like on the outside. Mmm, it is. It's uh, My hands are kind of sugary, sugary now. It's all right. Would you prefer a scone or... Oh, a scone. Yeah. Yeah. Can you get different flavours? I don't know, but you can get different types of ones. I'll take you into the shop where I got these, and you can see. I have a feeling they'd be nice cold. They are cold. They are cold. Cream, like, refrigerated, because the cream would be cold. Or frozen. One thing I will say is I'm not that much of, like, I don't eat that many, I don't like that much sweet stuff, but... <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So this is very good. How many bags of Skittles do you eat? I mean, big bags a week, about five? None. <laughs> no, if I was to choose, like, pizza or crisps, I would choose pizza. Like, I prefer Oh, you prefer savoury than yeah. sweet. All right, I get you. It's not bad. It's not It's not terrible. I did expect it to be a lot worse. Brownies are better if we can do them next time. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Unless they could Br- send them over. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, you can send brownies to us. That would be nice. We like brownies. We, we like grannies. Uh, listen, uh, that wasn't actually that bad. I expected it to be a lot worse, I think. Charlotte and I did try it once years ago, and then she was sick afterwards, but I don't think it was related. They're too expensive. That's because we don't get them over here commercially. We have to go to specialist shops. Tastes like plastic and cardboard. Mm. My blood sugar is just going to spike now. <laughs> I have one night. The cream looks like shaving foam. <laughs> But that's fair enough. Um, but I don't know if it tastes like it. I've never tasted shaving foam. How many big delights out of every bite would you give it out of five? Two, because they're all individually wrapped and that's not environmentally friendly. <laughs> Two big d- bites because of environmentalism. Two. It was all right, but I wouldn't be mad about another one. It's kind of greasy. 3.52. 3.5. I'd give it two. It wouldn't be... It would be something I would eat, uh, but it's not necessarily something I would reach for. So thank you very much, and uh, America, you're welcome to it, but do send us brownies. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Daddy, has Hulk always been green? Well, no. Daddy, has Spider-Man ever been married? Well, that's quite complicated. Daddy, did Superman have a mullet? What? No, there's no... Daddy, does Howard the Duck use foil language? Okay, stop. I must have done something wrong with your education somewhere along the line, but it's time to rectify that. You mean... Don't say it. You're doing another podcast? Oh, no. Podcast? Yes. Mark's Mess Podcast, an ongoing podcast to introduce and inform my children about the world of comics, science fiction, and general geekery. Join me each month along with my eldest daughter, Charlotte. Where's my fiver? And my youngest, Catherine. Me! As we explore all this together. Find us at marksmesspodcast.blogspot.co.uk On Facebook at Mark's Mess Podcast.
and on Twitter at Mark's Mess Podcast without the T. A new podcast. On a new feed. Same old Mark. <sighs> and now we're back for our Friends and Enemies segment. In case you haven't listened to before and for some reason decided to start with episode 115. All right, whatever. In our Friends and Enemies segment, we take a look at the other comics that we had covered on the show previously and see where they're at uh, on the cover date of the issue we covered earlier this episode, which is March 1977. But I don't do this alone because that would just be me babbling to myself for an hour and boring. So today we have with us Paul Showens from Geek Pod. Paul, hey, what's yeah. up? Oh, I see. I'm stepping all over you already. That's all I'm right. So, I'm too used to being the host myself. Um, how's it going? Ah, pretty good. Pretty good. good. How's everything Glad going in uh, you know, lockdown land for you? Um, I, I'm trying to claw my way out. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Right, I guess right now we're all in semi-lockdown land now. Who knows? Right. No one knows what's going on. <laughs> it's just anarchy. Oh my! It is. It's just. It's. It's madness. So before we get started, you want to give them. We'll do plugs at the end, but you want to give them a quick 101 of Geek Pod. Uh, sure. It's a. It's a group of buddies uh, who get together to discuss pop culture and um, indulge in a few beers. We we talk a little bit of comics, movies, uh, a lot of nonsense, and um, I, I've been told it's called. Um, subpar but you know hey you, you may enjoy that so well maybe it's like a golfer you know you want to be under par <laughs> well that's see that's where i that's where i tend to aim just yeah. below the target there you go yeah. and you don't just have the beers you talk about the beers too yes i mean hugh usually does most of the talking because i i don't have the skills he has with um beer snobbery yeah or uh, brewing well definitely not uh, I was not good in chemistry. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> well, and we'll do plugs at the end of this part, so you'll know what to find Geek Pod. Plus, there'll be a link in the show notes. But for now, let's get started. So let's see what other comics were out on March 1977. So first of all, we have Avengers number 157, A Ghost of Stone, by Jerry Conway, Don Heck, and Pablo Marcos. Covered by Jack Kirby, Joe Sinnott, Dan Atkins, and Danny Crespi. It's Christmas Eve in Avengers Mansion. Our wonderful time for celebrating with friends, exchanging gifts, and fending off blindside attacks. In surprising fashion, the long-forgotten Black Knight bursts into the mansion and knocks out the Beast, Yellow Jacket, and Iron Man. And now the stone statue of Dane Whitman prowls the hallways looking for his next victims. Once the Star-Spangled Avengers, Scarlet Witch, Wasp, and Wonder Man fall before the Black Knight, only one Avenger remains. Can the stone-like Dane Whitman complete his quest for revenge against the Avengers, or will the Vision crush the Knight's distorted dream? Well, I guess that kind of tells you everything you need to know. No, re- no need to read this. <laughs> right. Uh, and by the cover, which is a very well-done cover, I really thought it was going to be the Grey Gargoyle. Yeah, because it does look like a stone guy, but no, it's a yes. statue of the Black Knight. That's, yeah, wouldn't have saw that coming. I guess it was kind of a uh, plot thread left over because he had been turned to stone a while ago. Oh, that's right. And then kicked back into, and then at this point he was back in the past living in his ancestor's body. Yeah. So Marvel I'm, was a weird time. Yeah. I'm curious how they brought him back because I know he came back to the present eventually, but at the end of this issue, spoilers, the stone body is destroyed 
hitting the vision while the vision's in like diamond form or you know diamond hardness so yeah that'll tend not to make it so easy to uh, get back to the present without your stone statue body yeah so i'm not sure what they did i'm curious about that but yeah no it was a good kirby cover but let's face it it's also kirby and joe sinnott and joe sinnott always does the the best kirby covers half the time where joe sinnott inked very true and a great guy by the way he uh he comes to some of the cons up here our way Oh, really? Uh, get him a, yes. Every year for his birthday, he's in Syracuse. Oh, nice. Yes. I, I definitely got my Nova number one autographed one year. Oh, sweet. <laughs> yeah, I believe when most people are thinking of like classic Fantastic Four, like, you know, the good stuff that happens, it, you, it's also the Synod Inc. issues. Yes. And Thor. Very well known for Thor, I believe. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did a bunch of Thors. I know he even did some Thors in like the early '90s that were really good. Yeah, classic stuff. Love it. And it's sad to say the early '90s is still classic, but it is. How many? It's that's 30 years ago. <sighs> You're killing me, man. 1990 was 30 years ago. <laughs> oh my god! It's not like I wasn't born then. <laughs> <laughs> I was in high school, <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, that makes it a little bit better. And, and, and knowing the fact that we're talking about comics that were out before I was born still, I'm okay with this. Yeah, I was March 77. I was a toddler. I uh, I, I would arrive a few months later. Oh, there you go. <laughs> All right, I guess we'll go to the next one now, since I think if we're talking about baby stuff. We're done yes. with that issue. <laughs> right. So who do we have next? Captain Marvel number 49, Asylum Earth by Scott Edelman, Al Milgram, Alan Weiss, Jim Starlin, and Terry Austin. Covered by Al Milgram and Steve Lealoha? I believe that's how it's pronounced, actually. I got lucky on that one. Then. Um, and Ronan the Accuser attacks. Yeah, it was the best description I could find on that one. <laughs> I mean, and, it's, and it fits for the cover because he is putting a wallop on him. Yeah, this is a weird one. I mean, he's fighting... All, Ronin and apparently there's there's a thing going on with the Kree where a couple of them are stuck on Earth and they have some kind of disease that they get from being on Earth which makes them kind of crazy. Okay. I mean, they almost act like the Kree are very. It almost implies like the Kree are supposed to be very Spock-like, but coming on Earth makes them you know go mad. And it's like no, the Kree are the Kree are always dicks. <laughs> right. <laughs> like what are you talking about? But he fights that. And he finds a fights a Sentry and there's also some guy called the Jaguar. Okay. It was a weird time. Unfortunately, yes. Captain Marvel really had one really good period. Was that the Stalin era? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm they, not going mean, to disagree. Yeah, I mean, if you go back and read those earlier issues, I mean, there's some interesting stuff, but like they had no clue what they were doing. They changed direct direction like five times in that series before Stalin yeah. took over. Right. Yeah, that's but that was also again that would that was the era like if something just didn't seem like it was working you just one idiot. Yeah, and it like got stopped like it went on hiatus like two or three times and they mm-hmm. just picked up the issues again. Yeah, stuff but, that wouldn't happen today. No, no, now they would just end it and start with a new number one. <laughs> right. Sometimes in the same year. Very true. Uh, I am digging the Kirby Crackle on uh, on his. Oh God, I don't remember what it's called now. Oh, I think it's. Uh, is it the universal weapon? Yes. Thank you. That is a really cool look to it, though, with the, the pink energy. Yeah. No, that is, I mean, it's a cool cover. Yes. I mean, it's definitely eye-catching and exciting. You're like, oh, what's going on here? 
And I miss the corner boxes like that. Oh, I used to love the little corner boxes. Oh, since this isn't coming out too long from when I, from when we're recording this, I think, uh, let me see if I can find it real quick. If anyone's interested, let's see their name. This is exciting. This is the part I got edited out. <laughs> right. Okay, so on Twitter, Patrick Oliver. So it's at P A T R I C. I-O-O-L-I-V-E-R and he's doing like his own art style versions of like corner boxes featuring like all the X-Men different lineups. Oh, nice. And their associated teams. So like right now, the one he has up today is for Excalibur 41 to 70. That's so awesome. Like you know, so he's not just doing like one for X-Men, but like one for this period of X-Men, now one for this period and one for this period. So I'll put a, I'm going to put a link for their thing because if anyone's interested in corner boxes... Because you don't have those anymore. No. That's a shame because they were really, really cool. Yeah. Um, some of my favorites are some of the elder X-Men ones where like you would see people disappearing and going away and adding on. It's like they would join the team or leave it. Mm-hmm. Or uh, Hulk. I think it's like issues like 290 to 300. It was right after Secret, the first Secret Wars where you came back and the Banner was in the Hulk's mind. You know, I mean, Banner's mind was in the Hulk's body. Mm-hmm. And like the first issue of the corner box has the Hulk in like a lab, a lab cold holding a beaker and like wearing goggles and like being very professional. And then each issue, it gets worse and worse. Like he drops the beaker and then like <laughs> the, the shirt gets ripped and the pants get ripped. And by the end of it, by like 300, he's just complete savage Hulk. That's outstanding. So like each issue, they give you a little hint of like, oh, he's getting worse. <laughs> That's awesome. I have to go back and look those up now, too. Oh, yeah. If you just look at the coverage, you'll see those real quick. You're like, oh, my God. It's like a, it's a fun little thing. I think someone, maybe on Twitter somewhere, made it like put those images together. It's like almost like a little flip thing, you know, flip image, like a little flip book. Yeah. So you just click on it and it just goes through all of them like a little animation. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, yeah. All right. So next up, we have Daredevil number 143. Hide and Go Seek, Saith the Cobra, by Marv Wolfman, Bob Brown, and Keith Pollard. Co- covered, by Dan- yeah. covered by Dave Cockrum and Danny Crespi. Daredevil tries to keep Hyde from drinking a new and powerful serum that will turn him into a god. Which you totally get from this cover of Daredevil fighting a lion. Yeah, that's. I, I was wondering where that was coming in. Uh, but at <laughs> least at least the, uh, the, the Aerobox at least references Cobra and Mr. Hyde. Yeah. Well, apparently the issue starts with Mr. Hyde and the Cobra attacking some rich dude's like place. Cause he has like this rare book that the Hyde needs that has this formula. that will turn him into a God. Maybe possibly he doesn't really seem to do much research. And it. it's kind of seemed like Hyde was like, what? I heard something about something that might make me a God. Well, that's worth trying. And you know, that's just the Cobra behind his back. Like he wanted to go in and steal something else from the rich dude. And he was like, Oh yeah, totally. That's uh the book is in this guy's um, library. It'll make you a god. Yeah. But apparently the guy's really into like the Tarzan, Kazar type life and really, really wealthy. So his <laughs> penthouse apartment, he's like losing top of the building, is set up as a jungle and he has a lion. I, I want to know the uh, the permits you have to have for that in New York to yeah. you know make that happen. And a, apparently a rhino, he claims. Oh, outstanding. I mean, as one would. And him and his wife dressed like basically, you know, Kazar and Chana. 
it's like that's the most ultimate cosplay ever. Like we're just gonna <laughs> right. a tiger too. I mean, why not? It's it's you need to. I'm like, okay, you, this is weird. <laughs> now, did they uh, miscolor part of uh, Daredevil on that cover? Because it almost looks like those are supposed to be tears in his shirt that they just col- colored over in red, right next to the logo. Uh oh yeah. Well, yeah, I see a tear on his... Oh, yeah, I see the tear there. Yeah, well, they probably can't show too much blood. Yeah, good point. Oh, yeah, you're right. It looks like there's another one on his bicep, on his right arm. Yeah, supposed to be from the lion attacking. Yeah. But it's a fun little thing of him fighting Cobra and Mr. Hyde. Very cool. There's a fun thing at the end where Cobra's knocked out, and Mr. Hyde uses the Cobra still as, like, a rope and ties Daredevil up by using Mr. (laughs) Hyde's limbs, even though he's unconscious. (laughs) Again, as one would do. Hey, Mr. Hyde's a jerk. <laughs> Even when played by Colin McLaughlin, he's still a jerk. Very true. Oh, that's a deep cut. I forgot about that. Agents yeah. of S.H.I.E.L.D. I was very excited when they had him. He's like, oh my god, it's Mr. Hyde. Yeah. He's a real character. Right? They had a few of them that they kind of like low-key slid in there. Yeah, Ghost Rider, the Darkhold. Mm-hmm. Um, Donnie Gill. Icicle? Oh, Blizzard. Blizzard. Oh. Icicle's the DC version, basically. Yeah, you're right. I've got that stuck in my head. We just watched uh, the new show. Oh, Stargirl? Yes. I'm going to be watching those next week. I'm watching it. I'm looking forward to that. I like the original series. It was good. But not what we were here to talk about. Nope, because Stargirl is not on this list. (laughs) Definitely not. Uh, But we are here to talk about Fantastic Four number 180, Bedlam in the Baxter Building, by Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and Joe Sinnott. Covered by Jack Kirby, Marie Severin, Joe Sinnott, and Danny Crespi. Also, there's a reprint of Fantastic Four 101 in this? Yes. Yes, this cover was done for the story that was planned to be in this issue, but isn't. So the cover features the Thing, Tigra, Thundra, and the Impossible Man uh, facing off against the army, saying, you're not going to get this robot. And that does not happen, nor do you see the Impossible Man, Thundra, or Tigra here at all. <laughs> it's a reprint of Fantastic Four 101, which is a bizarre issue. Yeah, uh, let's look at that right up here. The Magia attempts to dispose of the Fantastic Four so they can take all of Reed's inventions. After being dumped in the harbor and encased in coffins, can the superhero team survive and mount a counterattack on the Baxter building? Yeah, so basically, the Magia is the Marvel Universe version of the Mafia. Yes. So the mob tries to take over the FF headquarters, quote-unquote, legally. Legally. Quote-unquote. Air, air they don't quote. really understand gotcha. what legal means. Because legally <laughs> here means they buy the building, say, oh, we're canceling your lease, you have to get out, and now they think we're going to get all of Reed's inventions. Because apparently, I guess you get all of their furniture and stuff right. when you buy someone when you buy someone. The, the building someone lives in, and say, no, we're canceling your lease, get out. Apparently you own their stuff, too. Um, that's not how evictions work. But, okay. I mean, And then the next day, they, yeah, and then the next day after that, they just show up and land on the building, like, no, we own this now, we're fighting, and, you know, it's now our <laughs> property, we're legally allowed to fight you off. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that's 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 how it's supposed to work. But where, where did the coffins come in? Uh, they actually they get are actually able to get they of course have super weapons because of course yes and they're using gas to knock them out so they stick them in a uh, coffin these big coffins and dump them in the river you know the water in Jersey makes sense 
And then the FF get out. That's good. Because reasons. Yeah. Right. Well, I'll say this, though. The Invisible Woman, at this point, Invisible Girl, does do pretty good against them. Nice. Because she's not part of the team at this moment. It's uh, Crystal's part of the team. Ah, uh, okay. Was This she wasn't ha- when she was pregnant for... No, she was okay. just... But Franklin was really young, so she probably was still taking care of him. Gotcha. But she left him with Agatha of Harkness and shows back up and does pretty good against them until the rest of the team arrived. It's actually great. She's like... Facing off, tricking them, they're falling apart. People are like, oh my god, stuff's moving. It's like, idiots, the invisible girl. <laughs> right. you know, using sports fields. And at the end, the guy like kind of thinks he has her, and she turns visible. She's like, whatever, it doesn't matter. He's like, right, why, what do you mean? She's like, behind you. And there's a whole team standing behind him. <laughs> That's awesome. And she's like, yeah, it doesn't matter anymore. I, de- I delayed you, I'm done. So there's some good early stuff for Sue actually being able to do stuff, and not just crying, read, what does it mean? <laughs> So it was a departure for the time. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just, like, how does this work? That's not how this works. That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. The Marvel Universe has weird laws, apparently. (laughs) I bought your house. That means I own all your stuff. Right. You guys get out. This is mine, now. No, 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 no. (laughs) Okay, and now we have the Incredible Hulk Number 209, The Absorbing Man is Out for Blood, by Len Wein, Sal Busima, and Joe Staten. Cover by Ed Hannigan, Frank Giacoya, and Danny Crespi. A mysterious trio send the Absorbing Man to battle the Hulk. This was interesting, too, because it's, it's like Banner's like starting over a life. He's living in an apartment in New York, and apparently he thinks the Hulk's gone. Oh. Until the end. So most of the book is Banner. Until, like, the last, like, quarter or third. Gotcha. And then he beats the Absorbing Man, of course. Because the Absorbing Man accidentally tucks, touches glass while they're falling. That, that'll that turn the tide of the battle. That's... And the Mysterious Trio seems to go, oh, well, that was fun anyway. <laughs> now, the, uh, do we know who this Mysterious Trio is, or is that for a later date when we figure it out? That's a later date, but I have a guess, just based on the way they look is I think it's the time, I forget they're called the Time Twisters, or something like that. They appeared in a couple random issues throughout the years, supposedly being like the creature, the beings that were there at the end of time. Okay. Uh, if I don't know, if you read Avengers West Coast when John Byrne was doing it? No, I think I was, I was past that. Okay, yeah, they appear in that with Immortus. They also are, are in Avengers Forever. Oh, okay. They're like the people that claim to tell Immortus, we're going to give you ultimate power if you do work for us. And they also were involved in the 90s What If series. I think it was like the only, like the five part, there was like five issues that was like a multi-part story. Yes, I'm they looking were, at that now. They were involved in that too. Gotcha. It just kind of looks like they're silhouettes, but I could be completely wrong. Okay. I mean, those are, those are pretty unique uh, heads, so you're probably yeah. right. But otherwise, it was. I mean, the only the weirdest thing about this though is that in two hundred five, which I read the other month for uh, our friends' main segment, Jarella died. Oh, was, okay, yes. And, and the Hulk and Banner were both in love with her, and like the next two issues is like about him, the Hulk trying to come to terms with it. So the fact that he already and he already not only does he have an apartment, he's interested in his neighbor. I'm like, wow. Yeah, unless yeah. maybe there was a jump of time. I'm like, that was pretty quick, dude. <laughs> Like uh, this ruined me. It's like, oh my god, this hurt. This hurt so bad. Ooh, she's cute. 
Like, hey, dude. Yeah. <laughs> What's that line from Princess Bride? Now tell me truly, when you found out he was gone, did you get engaged to your prince that same hour? Or did you wait a whole week out of respect for the dead? <laughs> but the interesting thing in this issue, actually, for me, is the letters page. Oh. Yes. Talking about that issue, actually. And, under, you know, someone who's actually talking about, like, I understand kind of like why you killed her while I was upset she died. You know, you weren't going to have the Hulk settle down and she can't actually do anything like that. Written by a Fred Hembeck. No kidding. Yes. Nice. So it's always fun when you see a future creator in these letters pages. Well, yeah, because you see the progression. Yeah. That's awesome. And I'm a fan of Fred Hembeck stuff. I used to love his Marvel Age pages. Oh, yes. All of his stuff was great. I oh, see yeah. he's still, uh, he still puts stuff up for sale every once in a while. He's still producing, but I guess he doesn't really do appearances anymore. Yeah, I saw him at a con about 10 years ago. Nice. Uh, what was it? Hold on. Almost at nine years ago. It was the Comic Geek Speak Super Show 2011. He was there. Oh, cool. I got his like complete Hembeck book. I got oh, nice. Very, very cool. And do a Brother Voodoo sketch. <laughs> nice. He he did a, a long running thing with Brother Voodoo, didn't he? Oh yeah, that was in that whole Marvel yeah. Age thing where like yes. Brother Voodoo and he made like a sister Voodoo and a Voodoo Child. Yes, Voodoo Child. That's what that's what I was trying to remember. <laughs> I guess he likes Jimi Hendrix. Right. <laughs> but yeah, that was a fun thing. Like he'd have his own little talk show and have the characters whoever they were promoting that month have the characters show up to talk about their book. Yes. <laughs> and hijinks wouldn't show. All right, who we got next? We have Iron Man number 96, Only a Friend Can Save Him, by Jerry Conway, Bill Mantlo, George Tusca, and Don Perlin, covered by Al Milgram, Jack Abel, and Danny Crespi. As Iron Man tries to stop Ultimo's rampage through Washington, D.C., Stark Industries is infiltrated. Yeah, this, I remember, I did read this one a while ago. This was pretty much a big fight issue, but, I mean, not bad, actually. I mean, Ultimo. It's basically Iron Man against, like, a, you know, a Voltron-style robot, almost. Nice. Only that, not that's... Voltron, but, you know, like an anime-style, like, mecha thing. Yes. I noticed something when we were going through these, and I I, I don't know if I'm going to call it out too early or not. What? Um, I think that was the month for the tagline of the power and the fury, because I see it on Iron Man, and I could have swore it was on one more. Uh, let me go backwards on any of the others. Let's see. Ah, yes, it's Captain Marvel. Uh, ah. It's the, the power and fury of Ronin, so it's not exactly the same. Um, but, but it did, it, uh, if you'll indulge me here, um, it did strike me as funny because our local K-Rock affiliate has had a hard rock like midnight show called The Power and the Fury for years. So <laughs> I saw it and it, it gave me a little bit of a giggle. Yeah, it, it wouldn't be a surprise if one if somebody had at least read these as a, some of these issues as a kid. Because let's face it, the power and the fury—that's something that was used a lot, right? Just like you know, to save you, why must I kill you? Or there shall be an ending. You know, they, I mean, I'm sure there's like a, at least a dozen different issues that have those as the title or on the oh, cover. Without a, doubt. without a doubt, not a bad. This wasn't a bad issue for Iron Man. Well, for looking from the cover, it doesn't look like it's so good for him. Oh, yeah, it doesn't look like it's a good time. <laughs> yeah, he's getting the crap kicked out of him in this issue. Spoilers, though, he wins. <laughs> Shocking. 
but yeah, this is th- these covers are fun. I'll tell you this: a lot of these covers are definitely eye catching. If you're like yeah. a spinner, you know, if you were at the spinner rack in the '70s, you're like, "Ooh, what's that?" Definitely, I I totally would have been all over the uh, the Daredevil with the lion because I would have just been, "What the heck is up with that?" And that would have had to come home. Yeah, I definitely would have picked up Incredible Hulk. Yes. Because, I mean, the Absorbing Man looks pretty cool on there. I mean, jumping back to that one real quick. He's made up, like, five different things. Yeah, like, I mean, that's that's what you get when you fight on a uh, construction site. I mean, you've yeah. got a lot you can do there. Yeah, he's, like, metal up top, and then he's, like, some kind of stone and then brick. So, I mean, that's a pretty cool look for him. Yeah. It almost looks like he's wearing a helmet with the way, the way with as pointy as his head is. Yeah, they give him a weird-looking costume in this issue, too. It kind of looks stupid. <laughs> So he's better off being in his uh in his absorbing forms then. You don't have to yeah. look at the dumb costume. Yeah. I like the absorbing man anyway. I I mean, here he's a little more like, oh, I need revenge, but I like the absorbing man better when he's just like the blue collar criminal. He's like, Look, yeah. I'm here to steal stuff and maybe occasionally get into a fight because it's fun, but I'm not here for like vendettas or anything. He's like, right. I you know, you leave me alone, I got no problem with you. They just can't seem to do that. Yeah, but like at times he's like, Whatever, you know, he's cool stuff. Yeah, I mean, I still remember that one issue of like Thor when Eric Masterson first took over as Thor, and he's like, "Look, kid, I'll give you a break this one time if you want, okay? Just walk away, and I'm going to leave you alone. I'm not going to hit you." I mean, he doesn't, but he, you know, he's like, "Look, I don't need to fight you. It's cool. I'll, I'll, you're new. I'll give you a break if you want it." <laughs> <laughs> you won't get this offer again, so take it now. <laughs> and I think they did that again when uh, Jane Foster was like early in her Thor run. I think she fought his girlfriend or wife, uh, Titana, Titana, and she does like the same thing. All right. Well, speaking of Thor, look, segue. Look at that. Finally, we have Thor number 257. Death, thou shalt die. <laughs> <laughs> By Len Wein, John Buscema, and Tony DiZanuga. Covered by Jack Kirby, Joe Sinnott, and Danny Crespi, Thor and the Warriors 3 start to search for Spore after Sif's abduction. This was kind of sad. Really? They kill the alien monster thing, and guess what? It wasn't bad. It just looked like kind of like a blob. Oh. They thought it was abducting people on this ship like alien and taking yeah. them away and killing them and eating them, but really it was taking them and healing them. Oh. How do they reconcile that? Or is that just that it ends just on a down note? It ends on a down note. It's kind of like a Twilight Zone-ish episode almost. That's kind of cool, though. And it's like, oh, like we killed the thing that's going to, you know, we killed the good thing. Crap. <laughs> we're going to we're gonna take a mulligan on this one, guys. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of saw it like near the end, and I thought they were going to do something, realize it before it's too late. But I, nope, nope, not at all. See, that's cool, though, because you don't typically, especially in this area, you didn't see that. The hero wasn't wrong. Yeah. So that's that's really cool. And plus, it's fun seeing Thor in space. Yeah. Because it's one of the things I did like when they first started doing the Thor movies. It's like, he always was the god. They always did a mix of, like, the mythological stuff and also, like, yeah, no, they're kind of like super scientific aliens, too. Mm-hmm. They go in space and they have spaceships and stuff. So the way they did Thor in the movies kind of fits for me. Yeah, that's I, I like that they did that instead of going straight mythology with it. Yeah, it's like yeah, we are the gods, but we also you know, I mean like maybe I'm not that great at science, but you know we have people <laughs> in science. Right. Yeah, because I mean Thor himself, especially in the movies, was kind of like the the dumb likable jock. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get down with that. I like it. 
But it's like, you know, hey, I'm, you know, my, my dad owns the dealership. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but plus he's running, you know, and him running through space with the Warriors 3 and Sif. Always fun. Right. He's got his bros that he hangs out with. And like you said, dad, dad owns the dealership, so he gets the coolest car. Exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we have for this month. So before we end this segment, plug time. Okay, you can find us at our website, uh, www.geekpod.com, g33kpod.com, or, um, and more active, on Facebook, facebook.com slash geekpod, g33kpod, or our spinoff show that uh, Al mentioned earlier, This Week in Geek. Um, we're doing a weekly uh, new comics report and a whole lot of toy talk lately. Uh, well, before the apocalypse came um but they'll be post-apocalyptic stuff eventually um actually uh and here you go um exclusive time i haven't even told our audience yet we are coming back very very soon i've got everything worked out and how we can do all of our social distancing and still get up to our typical pop culture and fart jokes so um, yeah because unlike me my show we're like for us we're doing this on skype you guys generally are in the same room Yes, yeah, we all hang out in my, um, here's those air quotes again, um, home studio, which is just the basement. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, we usually get together, we hang out for way too long, and um, my co-hosts, significant others, usually get really mad at me for sending them home in the condition I do. And that's why Paul does the show. He doesn't get to do anything else. He doesn't get invited to parties. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty bad when all of my friends, significant others, hate me. So, But, hey, this, this is the the burden I've carried for years. <laughs> <laughs> so links will be in the show notes, people. Outstanding. Dr. Hugh, what's got you geeked? Well, Paul, I'm geeked because we're recording our very first promo for geek pod. What's geek pod? GeekPod is a eclectic celebration of Nobody all things Nobody uses the word eclectic ever in real Seriously, life. Dude. Ever. <laughs> I mean, you're just trying to sound smart. <laughs> go on, go on. It's a call to action to let your geek flag fly proudly. Say that three times fast. No. The guys share their opinions, <laughs> the guys being us, and unique perspectives on everything from comic books to sports and anything in between. No topic is off limits. Come experience the show that's being called Intelligently Irreverent and Good-Naturedly Offensive. Who says that? Your mom. <laughs> oh, that's just me, man. Just me. Geekpod. Each and every week. Each and every week? Come on okay. now. So, <laughs> twice a month, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> when we can all show up. Come join in on the fun. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Blueberry, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and more. That's geekpod.com. G33KPOD. Alright, well, it's been a few weeks since the last episode, and, well, if you've looked out the window, you know that the things are a little crazy right now. And we thought they've been crazy for the last few months, but they're even crazier now. Normally we just stick with what's going on with the comics here, but 
this is big enough. I just want to say, please, everyone, be safe. Be careful out there. The virus is actually still real. And just because other things are taking up our attention does not mean that it doesn't exist. So please, wear a mask. Remember, the masks, for the most part, aren't protecting you. The masks are protecting you from giving it to other people in case you happen to have caught it. So if we're all wearing it, we're all just protecting each other. So that's all. Okay, wear the mask. If you're protesting, please wear the mask and be safe. If you don't want to protest, that's fine. You know, if you feel like you should help, there's places to donate to. You can do that too. There's a lot of things going on right now. A lot of things, a lot of events are coming to light. People are realizing things that are happening in the world. We need to take care of each other better. So we need to pay attention to what's going on. Listen to the people who have horrible things happening to them. And try and help so it doesn't happen anymore. People need to not be abused in the comic industry. Black Lives Matter. Let's just try and take care of each other more, okay? Okay, now it's time to get to our feedback. And this time we were talking about feedback from episode 112, Speedos and Hellfire, which was our April 1st episode in which Tim Price joined me. And we talked about the first issues of 1990s Ghost Rider and Namor. And I have to say it is an April Fool's joke. As per the lawyers from the Fire and Water Network, it was only a joke and we were never serious. Really? Okay. Well, that episode got Facebook likes and shares from GeekPod, and that's it, so thank you, GeekPod. However, we did do pretty good on Twitter, with likes and shares from World Spine Podcast, Nexus of All, Connor McKenna, Last Sons of Krypton, Siskoid, Attila and Rising Podcast, Viet Huynh, Toys and Sometimes Jokes, David Finn, at Ijano Ryuchan, Let's Talk Robbie Rays, Elam, Lord Azoth, Comics in the Golden Age, Between the Pages, Firestorm Fan, Tim Price, the Podcrasher, The Jedi Archive, hashtag Black Lives Matter, hashtag LGBT Rights, Heroes Punching 2099, Mega Gears X, Dallas Baumgarten, Into the Night, Let's Talk Hal and Comics, Jason Snick Venable, Ghost Rider Podcast, Wednesday Comics, Russ, Stephen Welch, Tom Galpin, Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast, Mike, Long Box of Darkness, Tyrone Haggins, Brian Z, HOCOF, Chris Lydon, Laurel, Coffee and Comics, The Hammer Strikes, Random Geeky Stuff, Ryan Daly, and Heroes Rebound Studios. I also did hear a bit from the Ghost Rider Podcast. They did enjoy the, the episode, so thank you guys, especially since you guys are an actual Ghost Rider Podcast, so appreciate the words. And um, in a minute, I'm going to play, we actually have an audio feedback from Ray, who is the host of the Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. So in a minute, we're going to play his thoughts, and then Tim Price actually responded to Tim's thoughts, so we're going to play that afterwards. And like I said, Ray is the host of the Into the Night podcast, which is another podcast in The Collective, which I'm part of. Uh, the Collective is a small group of podcasts, kind of an informal network, basically just there to kind of help each other out, help support each other, help promote each other, get together and record, things like that. So if you're interested in the other shows in The Collective, um, if you're on Twitter, go to hashtag The Collective Net, and you can find the shows on there. Speaking of the shows, in the, since the last episode, I have been on a few podcasts, in case you didn't happen to catch it on the social media, or if you're not on social media a lot, if you're interested. Uh, just most recently, I was on an episode of Source Material Podcast, number 276, 
we covered the Batman Creature of the Night miniseries by Kurt Busiak and John Paul Leon. I was also on two episodes of the Legion of Substitute Podcasters, episodes 606 and 607. We covered from the what's called the five-year gap era of the Legion of Superheroes, issue 30, and then the first story from annual number three of that run. And finally, speaking of the Legion of Substitute Podcasters, they have a second show on their feed now called L-E-G-I-O-N-P-O-D-Cast. It is co- it's about the 1989 series Legion. Not Legion of Superheroes, if you know about this, it's the one that was called an acronym. So L period, E period, G period, I period, O period, M period, you know, like S.H.I.E.L.D. And it's a show covering that one. Uh, They're only up to episode four now. And as of episode three, I am a regular on that show. So that's coming out every Friday. And it's on the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed, so you can find it there. In episodes three and four, we covered issues... Two and three of the Legion 89 series. All right, links in the show notes. And now let's get on to Ray and Tim's comments. Hello, hey, how you going, Al? And uh, I'm not sure if Tim will be returning for another another round of Speeders and Hellfire, but this is Ray, um, fellow collective member from um, Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast, just dropping in some thoughts on uh, that episode of uh, Namor and Ghost Rider. Um, I really enjoyed this. I, I'm, uh, I don't want to say I'm a huge Namor fan, but I am a, a steadily growing um, devoted fan to Namor. I, I really liked his stuff. Um, I don't, you know, I don't have boxes of his comic book issues. I don't think I've only got one from, from John Byrne, uh, his run, but I do have uh, most, if not all, of his trades now, and the uh, the fantastic John Byrne Omnibus, uh, which has about the first 45 issues of that, that series, which bleeds over to Jay Lee. Anyway, it was really interesting to hear you guys uh, chat about Namor and Ghost Rider. Look, I love Ghost Rider as well. Um, I loved how uh, you, you matched these two together, a bit of fire and water. Um, but, yeah, um, I... I share that same thing with with what Tim said. I I just found I don't know this might say something about me as well, but um, I was really what really appeals to me is the the douchiness of Namor, and uh, just how it's it's so fun to to really hate him. I don't know his some of his his character um, traits uh, are very unlikable, um, but there's something there's an appeal to him, and 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 I I do like. Um, you know his his power set, decently powered. Um, the fact that he's um, kind of caught maybe in between being an Atlantean and a human, um, him not having that um, stock standard Atlantean kind of complexion uh, and all that sort of stuff. So uh, he's a very interesting character for me. Uh, I've recently gone on board again to um, to subscribe to Marvel Unlimited, so I'm very keen on. On reading up on, I think in the saga of the Submariner, uh, which was what Tim alluded to as well. Um, but yeah, I uh, I haven't read all of the the omnibus, but I might go and start that epic journey. Um, so yeah, Namor's quite interesting. Uh, he's actually got me interested in the Invaders as well. So looking at getting those classic collections uh, of Namor uh, with Captain America. Uh, I'm starting to 
to really enjoy a lot of Captain America stories now as well, so that's kind of timely. Uh, but yeah, I'm hoping you guys do more and more of uh, of Namor and Ghost Rider. I'm also learning a bit more about Ghost Rider, and a shout out to our other fellow collective show, Inner Demons, the Ghost Rider podcast. They're fantastic. Um, but yeah, just wanted to say hello, and uh, really, really fun to hear you guys talk about two of Marvel. Marvel's, I guess, more interesting characters. Anyway, I shall be quiet now, and I'll, uh, I'll listen to your show. Catch you later. Hey, Ray, Tim here. That was great feedback. It's always fun to share these comics with other people, and even better when it gets someone else to join in. Because, hey, we all have a terrible, terrible addiction, don't we? But seriously, enjoy your exploration of Namor and Captain America's comics. I just finished reading the remarkably short Roger Stern, John Byrne run on Cap, and highly recommend it. Oh, it's so good. Uh, As for Al and me doing another Speedos and Hellfire, eh, we don't have any future plans, as it was really an April Fool's Day gag for the Fire and Water podcast team. But I'm really glad you enjoyed it, so you never know. And while I'm at it, I want to thank Al for inviting me on his show for that episode. It was all his idea. He did the lion's share of the work and let me just ramble and have fun and perform that completely original song. It was completely original. Just remember that. So again, thank you, Al. Vengeance pals forever. Yeah. Hey, Ray. Yes, Connor. What's black and white? And read all over. Huh. A newspaper? Not even close. Hmm. A sunburnt zebra? What are you doing, Ray? (laughs) Not even close. (laughs) Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. A weekly podcast coming to you from the High Priest of Khonshu. Available on all good podcast catchers. All right. But that's well, it. Unless there's anything about those ads that you were interested in. I mean, they're, they're, they're wild, but not, not nothing too much struck my fancy. Yeah, I don't think there's anything spectacular, but just in case, you know, I send it just in case anything hit somebody went, ooh, what's this? Yeah, there's standard Marvel House ads. Yeah, boom. Although there's an issue, there's an ad for the early issues of uh, Comic Buyer's Guide. I guess that's probably historic. All right. All right. Well, thanks for, Hank, for having us on. Yes, well, thank you for being here. John, of course, as usual, and Don, thanks for coming. I appreciate you coming out for this. It's a story. (laughs) <laughs> oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, so before we go, Don, tell people where to find you. Well, uh, you can find me most prominently on uh, com, where I, along with Harrison Chute, host the uh, socially, uh, socio-political slash pop culture-minded podcast, Questions We Don't Have Answers. Um, we, As of this recording... We recently did an episode on um, the MCU and why we believe it worked or how did it, did it work. Previously to that, we talked about the, the future of uh, police reform. And as of this recording, next episode, 
we are planning to have on special guests Stella and Professor Carolyn Coca to talk about uh, the future of women in the action genre. I'm also a writer on DCUniverse.com. It's a weird thing where you, it's hard to find my name, but like if you go look on news, you can find works that I've, I've written on. And I, I also have a, have a Twitter and Instagram. You can try to and Facebook. You can try to find my name there. All right, and John, remind them where to find you. So I'm on Twitter at John Reads Comics, and I have three podcasts I'm currently working on. Uh, Make Ours Marvel is every Friday. Uh, we are talking about Silver Age Marvel Comics. We're coming up towards episode 100, or when this comes out, we may have recently released episode 100. Yeah, um, past 100. Yeah, so that's, that's pretty exciting. Two solid years on that show. Uh, then... I have my Image Comics podcast that is coming out with several episodes at the beginning of every month talking about early months of Image Comics. That's all the pouches, an Image Comics podcast. And third and finally, I am going through the Marvel UK comic book series, The Transformers, looking at their um, run of Transformers comic stories and the cartoons that were airing at the same time. Uh, my son and I are currently working through season two of the Transformers, talking about a couple of episodes every time we record, and that is very fun because he is fun to podcast with. The the comics I do solo, the cartoons he joins me on, it's good stuff. So that is on Twitter at TFUK Podcast. All right, and that's it. So links will be in the show notes, so click on those things and follow them. And that's it. We'll be back next time. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. so low, I have to look up to see the bottom of my shoes. You get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Twinkie Cakes. Okay, Keenan, do you want to be the Great Golden Sponge Cake or the mm, Hostess Twinkies Cake? I think I want to be the second one. The bottom? Yeah. Kid seven. Okay. Great Golden Sponge Cake! You can't laugh. <laughs> Great golden sponge cake. You get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Twinkies cakes. <laughs>
Okay, now you have to be joyful about the mm, hostess Twinkies cakes. You can't be laughing, okay? Iron Man just saved the day. <laughs> okay. Mm. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Give me a second. <laughs> you were the actor on the set. You gotta stop laughing. Mmm, <laughs> just drinky cakes. You get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Twinkie Cakes. Okay, try one more time. Just make sure we get all the giggles out. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> Five minute recording, I can't laugh. Mmm, you get a. It's okay. Mmm, you hostess cream, hostess Twinkie Mmm, hostess Twinkie cake. You get a big delight in every bite. Hostess Twinkie cakes. <laughs>